You're listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website at www.snowdropministries.com or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Tonight I want to close this series by teaching on Psalm uh, 139, Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. I want to talk to you about God's exhaustive knowledge of us, God's exhaustive knowledge of us, but would you just pray, for, pray with me before we begin? Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for celebrations of our birth, and Lord, I, I thank you that you knit me together. And that's what this psalm is all about. And, and so, Lord, I am fully aware that when you knit me together, you put a call in, on my life and a gifting in me that only I could fulfill. And, Lord, I want to walk that out tonight at, in a new measure. I pray, Father God, uh, that you would just use my mouth to speak to your people, Father, that you would uh, just clearly uh, help me to clearly and effectively Uh, expound on this scripture. I pray that you give insight and wisdom and direction. I pray, Father, that you would help me to boldly and fearlessly proclaim your word. I pray that it would come with clarity and with great effectiveness. And Lord, I ask for your anointing. You say that there's an anointing that abides, that there's an anointing that breaks every yoke. I'm asking, Lord, for that anointing tonight. I pray that every word that comes from my mouth would be selected uh, and appointed by you. Lord God, I pray that it would be anointed and powerful. Lord, I thank you that your word is powerful and that it changes lives. And so, Lord, let it get deeply embedded in us tonight and let, us, let it change us for an eternity's sake. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Psalm 139. We've been studying identity, asking ourselves the question, who am I? We tend to compare ourselves with others because we're not comfortable with who we are or we don't know who we are. We haven't discovered who we are is the problem. We look at others and we measure ourselves with them and we we walk away feeling like we're lacking or there's something wrong with us and we feel defeated. And until we discover how uniquely and, and purposefully we have been made, we will never walk in the fullness of all that God wants us to be. We have to believe that God was deliberate when he made us, that he purposed us. Do you know that he purposed you, that you have a purpose in your life that only you can fulfill, that there is a destiny on your life that only you can fulfill. Somebody else can't walk that out for you. Don't, don't covet the gifts that are in me. Be, be, be digging deeper and finding out what the gifts are in you and begin to work and walk those out and fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for your life. If you have your Bibles again, let's look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read you the entire passage. Does somebody have the NIV? I'm going to, I have the New King James, and I'd like to read from the NIV. Oh, my, this is tiny. That's okay. Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. Somebody says he searches me. He searches me. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Search me, O Lord, and know me. See if there's any wicked or offensive way in me. Do you not want that? That's just the cry of my heart. I, I've been meditating all, on this passage for the past week, and, and I'm just struck by, by, by how much God knows us. Do you understand that you are known by him? I, I don't know why we try to conceal things from God, because he is the God who knows. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your comings and your goings. He knows your rising up and your sitting down. He knows every thought you have. Before you were ever conceived before you were ever a thought in your mom and dad's mind he knew you do, do you understand you are known by God you are known by him nothing is hidden from him in Psalm 139 David is asking himself who am I really and Psalm 139 is the answer to that question and I think it's a vital passage that we need to read and meditate on to bring who you are into perspective when my son Tyler was in I think when he was in seventh grade he had to memorize this passage every week his teacher would give him a new verse to memorize and and to this day Tyler still has this passage deep within his heart I believe that it's a, it's a vital passage. I think uh, our memory verse for this week is just a portion of this passage, but it would do us good to get this deep within our spirit. I want you to note the overwhelming use of the first and second person pronouns in this passage. It makes it uniquely personal. He's saying, you search me, God. You know me. This isn't about Susie sitting next to you or Tom at work. This is about you and God. It's a personal thing. He knows you. 
He knows everything about you. And guess what? He couldn't love you more. See, that's what blows my mind about God. Well, when I came to Jesus, I didn't come because I feared hell. I knew that I had earned the wages of sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Do you understand that that the wages, what we get for sinning is death? It's eternal separation from God. Oh, just because we don't preach about hell anymore doesn't mean there isn't one. And it's time, church, that we wake up and we understand that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Somebody say it's a gift. It's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Do you you know that, that what we get, what we earn for sin is eternal separation from God? It's hell. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm sorry, but you've earned the wages. And you deserve hell. I deserved hell. But I took the gift. He says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If I had a gift and I wanted to give it to you, Lisa, what would you have to do? I'd beg Lisa, take this gift. I want to give this to you. You don't earn a gift. You you don't earn a gift. What you did to me tonight, I didn't earn. You just get, you lavished it on me. And, And I have to take that gift. If I wanted Lisa to have a gift... I could beg her to take it, but she would have to reach out and take it. And the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus. And it's a gift. You don't earn it. It's a gift. Just take it. Just say, Lord, I receive that gift. If you have not received that gift, don't leave here tonight without it. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the team members. Talk to God. Say, Lord, I want to receive that gift because I've earned me some wages. I've earned some wages. But there is nothing that could ever separate you from the love of God. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. He knows all about it. You don't have to run in in shame. You don't have to to hide in guilt. You see, that's what happened to Adam and Eve in, in the garden. They sinned against God. They were walking in fellowship with him day in and day out, and and they loved it. And then they sinned against him. And when they sinned against him, they hid. And he walks in the garden, and he said, where are you? And that always makes me chuckle because this is the the all-knowing God. He knew exactly where they were. But their sin made them hide from him. He was saying, Where's the, where are the Adam and Eve that I created? Because the ones that I created would not hide from me. And our sin will always make us hide from God. But there is nothing that we could ever do that would separate us from, from the love of God. But we can choose to run and flee and hide. Do you know that? But there is nothing, dear one, ever, that you've done in your life. I don't care if you're Jeffrey Dahmer. There is nothing that anyone could ever do to separate them from the love of God except refuse the gift. He knows. Why do we hide? Why do we run? I was talking with Kendall about this tonight, and and I said, baby girl, we can't hide anything from God. He sees it all. Why do we try to conceal our sin? Why do we try to cover it up? He sees it, but guess what? He loves you anyway. It was not hell that scared me into heaven. It was the knowledge 
that God could know everything about me, could know everything I've ever done, and I've done some stuff. Anybody besides me done some stuff. I've done some stuff, and God knows all about it, and he loves me anyway. I don't understand that kind of love. But that's what this psalm is proclaiming. He knows. <laughs> he, there's nothing, Margaret, there's nothing. See, this is what we do. We try to put on a mask. We try to appear super spiritual. We try to clean up our act and hide our sin behind closed doors just because we're going to look like we're all that in a bag of potato chips and we appear spir super spiritual. But guess what? I might not know what you're doing behind closed doors, but God does. And wouldn't it be freeing? Wouldn't it be freeing? To be able to come to him and say, Lord, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm just coming and I'm going to bear my soul to you. When my children were growing up, I would always say to them, I promise you, God is going to show me. You could try to do something naughty, but I will find out. I will. Ask my children. They know I found out. And I can't tell you how it happened besides that God showed me, but it would never fail. They do something naughty and God would reveal it to me. And I would always say to them, why didn't you just come to me and tell me this? Because when, the, when, the revel, when, when they revealed the darkness, when they revealed what they were trying to cover up and hide, there was a freedom that came with telling the truth. God knows. But there's a freedom, dear one, when you can come to him and tell the truth. When you can say, I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not covering up anymore. I am going to bear my soul because you already know and you love me anyway. I was reading this week about Moses. I was reading in Acts 7 about Moses. And do you know that the Bible says that when Moses was born, I love this about him, that he was not an ordinary child. He was not an ordinary child. They, they, they looked at him and they could tell, even as a baby, that he was not an ordinary child. God had created him for a purpose. God had a plan for his life. God had gifted him with something that only Moses can do. And can I just tell each one of you that you are not an ordinary child, that God has put a plan and a purpose in you that only you can fulfill. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to realize that. And so Moses was not an ordinary child, and, and they were killing off the Hebrew children, and so his mother panicked, and, and she wanted to hide him. And so you know the story. She put him, uh, she put him in the, 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 the little, like a basket, and, and, and Pharaoh's daughter, I think, wife, daughter, found him. And, and she took him and raised him in Pharaoh's home. Here was a Hebrew child being raised in an Egyptian home. And that was a big to-do to because the Pharaoh, he was wealthy. Moses would have had opportunities that, that, that no other Hebrew child would have. And, and he got raised in that home. And, and he, got, he, was, he, was, he was taught and, and he, got, he got raised in wealth. And can you imagine the luxuries he had and the, the opportunities he had that he would not have had if his mother had not released him? So Moses grew up in Pharaoh's home, and, and then he got a revelation that he was going to be the deliverer, that God had a plan and a purpose for his life that only he could fulfill. And instead of stopping and seeking God and saying, Lord, how, does this, how do you want to play this out in my life? He goes out into the world, and he does it the world's way. He, he saw an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting, and he killed the Egyptian and hit him. 
And you know the story. In fact, I just want to turn there. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 7. There's Acts and then there's Romans. Acts chapter 7. I want you to see this. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? Verse 27. But he he who did this, who did his neighbor wrong, pushed him away, saying, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you not want to kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? Then at this saying, Moses fled. Fled. And became a dweller. It meant he he lived in strife and contention. I looked up the word contention, and it means to struggle. (laughs) At this, he fled and became a dweller and lived in the land of Midian. Of Midian. That's what that word Midian means. I'm sorry, it means strife, contention. And he stayed there for 40 years. Look over at verse 20. It says, when Moses was born, he was well-pleasing to God. You see that? He was well-pleasing to God. When Moses was born, he was well-pleasing to God. Can I just tell you, when God created you, he was pleased. He, he thought it was good. He, he was pleased with what he created. Do you know that? Do you know that one of my favorite verses, it's my life verse, it says, when I was born, he made mention of my name. Do you know what that word made mention means? It means he found me worthy to be praised. You see, that doesn't do it for some of you, but when you were born the way I was born, I was conceived in an adulterous affair that my mother had. And and do you understand the idea that God could have made mention of, of my name when I was born? That he found me a child of an affair, worthy to be praised. That just does it for me. I just want to tell you, I can't even tell you what that does inside of me that he found me worthy to be praised. In spite of the sin, in spite of the the situation, he found me worthy to be praised. Oh, that's just good. Can I tell you, he found you worthy to be praised. He is well pleased with you. When you were born, he was well pleased. But we do what Moses does. He put a call in our life that only we could fulfill. He put a destiny in us that only we could fulfill. And we go out into the world and we try to do it the world's way. Do you want this? I'll become this for you. We talked about that last week. And we remake ourselves. We recreate ourselves to fit into the world. And meanwhile, God was pleased with who we were to begin with. And he has a plan and a purpose. And what happens is when we test ourselves by the world standard, we will always flee and become a dweller in Midian. We will dwell in contention. We will dwell in strife. It will be a struggle throughout life. But after 40 years, he lived 40 years just playing this game. I'm probably worthless. I blew it. I didn't do it your way, Lord. And now is there any hope for me? But after 40 years, he rose up. He rose up. And it's time, church, that we start rising up and finding out who we are, who we are. So you messed up. Get back up again. Don't flee to Midian. Let's look at that verse, verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
that that word Lord is Jehovah. It means the existing one. He is the existing one. He's self-existing. He was before there was any other. He doesn't need anything else to complete, complete him. He doesn't need me to be somebody for him to feel complete. Can I tell you? When I disappoint him, it doesn't blow his day. Can I just tell you? He knows what he put in me. He knows the potential that's buried beneath the surface. He doesn't really, he's not shaken when Rhea blows it. Can I tell you? because he is the self-existing one. He doesn't need me to be everything he created me to be for him to continue to be all that he is. Can I tell you, my sin does not blow his mind. He is the great I am. Do do you understand that? The great I am. I want to flip back to that passage because I I wrote something this week in in my Bible that, that I want to just It says, I shall ever be the same that I am today. Do you know that he shall ever be the same that he is today? When you're reading this Bible, uh, everything he was in this word, he will be for you today. I shall ever be everything that I am today. So last, last... a hundred years ago, he was a deliverer. He's a deliverer today. Well, when he wrote, when that Bible was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he had healed blind eyes. He raised the dead. He healed leper skin. Can I tell you? He will always be what he is back then. Do you understand? Jehovah has searched you and he knows you. The great I am. Everything you ever will need, he is. He'll be for you. He is the eternal, immutable one who will never be other than the same. That's why I love the names of God, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah means that he will be whatever we need him to be. He'll be the great I am. So if we need a provider, Jireh, he'll be that for us. Jehovah Rapha, the great I am. I am who I'm always going to be. Everything you need me to be, I'll be for you. Rapha, healer. Do you see it? Jehovah knows you, and he searches you. That word search means to penetrate. It means to examine intimately. I like that one. It means to try. It means to probe and examine thoroughly. Here's my favorite one. It means to dig or to excavate. Oh, I love it. My husband and I were in Israel a number of years ago, and and I love to go to the places where they're excavating, where they're doing a dig, a historic dig, and they're careful. They they go down, and they're very careful. Every little piece they scrutinize because it might be something good in that dirt. There might be something good there that they need to hang on to. Can I tell you, he's excavating. Oh, Lord, you search me, and you know me. You're digging deep into me. You know where the stuff is buried that you put in there. You put it in. I covered it up. And so you're digging down deep and you're finding what you put in me as a treasure and you're being careful and gentle and you're making sure you don't miss any of it in the dirt that I've let come into my life. Do you just love it? I love it. I love it. I love his word. It's used both here and at the ending, the ending verse of this psalm where he says, examine me. He's saying, I want you to dig deep, Lord, because I know that I am oblivious to the stuff that's in there. And so dig deep inside of me. Anybody besides me want him to do some deep digging. When I was growing up, I, I'll tell you, I'm, well, you know how old I am now, but uh, when I was growing up, I grew up in the hippie era. And, and, and you know, did you ever do I dig it. Dig it, sister. I'm digging you. You know that saying? The hippies had this because what, what he meant is, I understand you. 
I've searched you. I know you. I dig you. Can I tell you God digs you? He digs you. He thinks you're all that in a bag of potato chips. He thinks you're pretty awesome. He's saying, dig beneath my tough exterior. Dig beneath my mask. Dig beneath my play acting. Dig beneath my hypocrisy and know me, Lord, and know me. Examine me. Am I what I profess to be? It's a risky prayer, but it's a life-changing one. Can I just tell you with every ounce of my being, with every ounce of sincerity that I have, everything in me wants to be authentic. Everything in me wants to be the real deal. I go before him daily saying, examine me. Dig away, Lord, because I want you to dig deep inside of me because I know that the heart is deceptive above all things. I know that we can be deceived by the pride of our heart. I know that I can choose not to want to see something that everybody else sees. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to examine me, to dig deep because I don't want any wicked way in me. I don't want it in me. And I am fully aware that I can be oblivious to it. And so I'm putting myself before you, Lord, saying, I want to be authentic. I want to be the real deal. I don't want any play acting here. And so I'm giving you permission to examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Can I tell you how much I don't like the form of godliness, but people denying the power therein. Can I tell you how much it gets me to see people play acting, putting on a form? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? I want to be the real deal. You could say whatever you want about me, but I promise you, what you see is what you get. I don't put on a play act for you on Monday night. This is who I am. It's who I am. And there is nothing in me that is going to waste any time trying to put on a mask and act like I'm all that in a bag of potato chips to impress you. I have nobody to impress because I got a God who searches me and he knows me. I'm not fooling him. I don't, I, he sees through my mask. He knows exactly what's buried in here. And I am done trying to be all that in a bag of potato chips because I'm not fooling him. And he knows the treasure that needs to be excavated in me. And I am letting him dig deep because I want the treasure. I want the treasure that's inside of me. The Bible says that he searches me and he knows me. Oh, that word know, we've talked about it so many times. It means to know somebody carnally. It means to, it's a sexual idiom. It means to, to perceive, to discern. It's what's used in Genesis 4.1 when the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. It's the same word. It means to know intimately. My favorite is in Joel 5.7. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. I love it. Joel says, this is what I have searched out. It's true. Hear it and heed it and know it for yourself, for your good. I, I think it might be Job 5 now that I'm thinking about it. But he says, this is what I've searched out and I know it's true. Hear it. Don't just hear it with your ears. Hear it. Let it get deep inside of you, and then you go search out, and you find for yourself that it's true. Know it deep within you. Know it intimately. And that's what I'm telling you. I can stand up here and preach till I am blue in the face because I have searched it out, and I know it's true. It is true, and I can preach it, and I can tell you it's true, but until you go and search it out, that's what Joy was saying, until you go and search it out and discover it for yourself and hear, not just hear, but receive it as truth, it will never change your life. 
But it's that same word, to know for yourself, to know intimately. Skip Moen, one of my favorite commentators, says, this word is used to proclaim God's complete knowledge of creation. Can I tell you, he has complete knowledge. That nothing can be hidden from his understanding. God's perception and recognition extend to every act and circumstances. For Christians, this has the powerful consequence that none of our secrets were secrets to God. No matter how much we tried to cover up our dehumanizing compulsions and sinful attitudes, God saw everything about us. For many of us, this truth was terrifying. We feared God as the all-observant heavenly policeman. But through recovery, we have come to see that God's full recognition of us is not about punishment, but about care and affirmation. He loves us in spite of, or perhaps because of, our sinful addictions. He knows everything about what we have done, and he still forgives, cares, and grants his blessing. Isn't that good? That so often we run from him because we see him as the heavenly policeman who's going to punish us for wrongdoing instead of seeing his heart of love and compassion, the one who knows us, who knows us intimately. He knows a thought before we even have it. He knows the motive behind everything we do. He knows why we do the things we do. What better person, what safer person to go to and say, Lord, I don't know why I do this, but I hate it. And so I'm coming to you, asking you to scrutinize, asking you to to dig deep inside of me, asking you to uncover and show me and lead me into the way everlasting. He knows you. He knows you. He knows everything there is to know about you, and he loves you anyway. I want you to notice that the psalmist doesn't say God knows all things. He says he knows you. He knows me. It's personal. It's not just head knowledge. It's intimate knowledge. It's things he's learned through intimacy. He's intimately acquainted with us. Verse 2 says, he knows my sitting down and my rising up. He says, you understand my thought afar off. And that no is the exact same no. It means he knows us intimately. Here's what I love, my sitting down. Uh, when I first studied this, I thought it was he knows when I'm sitting, when I'm relaxing, and when I'm rising up. And, and I think that could mean, that could ex be exactly what it is. But if you look up the word, and this is so good, Lord, help me to say it like you showed it to me. He knows my sitting down. Joy, you need to listen to this. That The word means dwell. It means to abide. It's the exact same word that he says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord. Lord. Can I just tell you, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, who abides, who lives there, it's that same word. And so I believe what he's saying is, you know when I'm sitting down, when I am dwelling safely in your presence, you know when I'm walking with you closely, you know when, I'm, when I really am trying to abide in you, and you know when I'm rising up. Can I tell you, some of us rise up in rebellion, we rise up in anger, we rise up in, in impulses, and, 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 and it's, it means setting about anything with impulse. That's what it means in the original language. In other words, he understands your impulse, your impulses. Your emotions that make you rise up and get out from undercover, get out from underneath his dwelling. And he's saying, you know me, Lord. You know when I'm walking, when we're tight, when we're together. And you know when I'm over here walking in flesh, letting my flesh rise up. Oh, can I just tell you, he knows. And he loves you anyway. He loves you anyway. 
He says, he knows our thoughts. Oh, that, that's just so good. It, it says, you understand my thoughts afar off. And, and he knows the thoughts I never share with anyone else. He knows the thoughts I might be ashamed of. I, I wonder if any of you, if we were to uncover your thoughts right now and put them up on the screen, would you be ashamed of them? He understands those thoughts. You're not hiding them from him. He understands the ones I won't share with anyone else. He understands when I'm dwelling someplace I shouldn't be dwelling. He understands my impulses. They don't take him by surprise. He understands and discerns my, my thoughts afar off. The word means he comprehends them. The stuff that fills our minds, the stuff that weighs on our hearts, the memories that consume my thinking, he knows them. Here's what I love about that word. If you look up the word thought in the original language, do you know what it means? If I'm lying, I'm dying. This is so good. Don't miss this. If you're tuning me out and you don't hear anything else I'm saying, get this one. The word says that he knows our thoughts afar off. He understands them. Do you know that that word thought means a companion, a friend? With one whom, with whom one has intercourse, a lover, one beloved. Oh my goodness, think about that. He's saying our thoughts in the original language, in God's word, that word means our companions, the ones we have intercourse with, the intimate companions, the intimate ones we walk with. Can I tell you that some of you, your thoughts are your best companion. You could disappear in your thoughts for, for weeks. You, you, you're solving all the world's problems up here in your little head, and they're not true. Most of those thoughts are not even true that you're having intercourse with, that you're intimate with. And if they were exposed and brought into the light, you would understand why you're in the predicament you're in. But he even comprehends those. He even comprehends those and understands. Think about that. My thoughts are invisible to everyone else. You can't see what I'm thinking, but God can. And he knows where they came from and the motive behind them. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a moment when we are outside God's observation. Do you understand that? His eye is on the sparrow. I know he watches you. I know he watches me. He says, you comprehend my path, my lying down, and you're acquainted with my ways. That word comprehend, it means to, to scatter, to fan, to cast away, to winnow. It means it's a picture of, of chafe and how they would throw up the wheat and, and the chafe would separate and, and the chafe would fly away and then the, only the good stuff would be left. He comprehends our way. He's patient with us. When we blow it, when we get off track, he throws it up in the wind and he says, I know the good stuff is going to come out. I'm confident in what I put in her, that the good stuff is going to come out. I know he just fell. I know he just messed up. But I'm telling you, I know what's inside of him and I'm believing for that. I'm going to go digging for some treasure and excavate that. He comprehends. He knows. He knows. He never sleeps or slumbers. I may, but he doesn't. He comprehends my path. The way that I'm walking, he understands it. Nothing is hidden from him. Nothing is outside his knowledge. He's acquainted with all of our ways, the good, the bad, the ugly. Look at verse 4. 
for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Oh, this really blesses my heart because sometimes I can't express myself. Sometimes I can't, I can't articulate as clearly as I want to. Sometimes the pain is too deep for me to even put into words, but he understands, he knows, he's intimately acquainted with what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. Last night, we got in late and, and I've been hurting. I've been, I've been going through something in my life that is so painful, I can't even tell you how painful it is and I sat in my car last night and I just sobbed I, I sobbed I couldn't even pray I just sobbed and I had been meditating on the scripture saying Lord he before a word is on my tongue you know it completely I didn't even know how to pray I didn't even know what to say all I could do was sit and sob before him and I thought Lord I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that before a word is even on my lips, you know it completely. You are so familiar with me. You are so intimate with me. I don't even need to sit here and spill the beans. You already know what the beans are, and I'm so grateful for it. Anybody besides me, so grateful you're known by God. Our twins, when they were growing up, had their own language, their own communication. It was so funny. David would do something, and Christy, it was like they had their own, their own language between the two of them. Twins are known to do that. They understood each other even when I didn't understand them. I was thinking about my husband. He's from England, and when he, um, he and his family, the, I'm going to tell you they call themselves English, but I'm not sure they speak English like we do, and, and, and he's a real Brit, and, and they have their own language. Do you know that? They don't go to the restroom. They go to the loo. They, they don't put things in their trunk. They put it in the boot. They, they don't want a, a, a dessert. They want a biscuit or a sweet. Uh, they have their own language. And when I married him, I had to learn that language. It wasn't my native language. I had to earn it in order. I had to learn it in order to communicate properly with him. Oh, can I just tell you? God knows your language. He knows what you need even when you can't articulate it. He knows what you need even when you think you're asking for the wrong thing. He knows what's buried beneath it and what you really need. He knows your language. The word says in verse 5, he's hemmed us in behind and before. He's laid his hand upon us. I want you to see that. He's hedged us. He's bind. He's besieged. He's confined. He's cramped us. He's made us secure. He's shut us in. He's enclosed us behind and before, and he's laid his hand upon us. I want you to think about that. You hemmed me in behind my past and before my future, and you've laid your hand upon me. That's my present. There is nowhere you can go from him. He's already at your tomorrow. He's taken care of your past. He's hemmed you in behind and before, and he's laid his mighty hand upon you. You don't need to fear what tomorrow holds. He's hemmed you in. He's made you secure. He shut you in in him. Such knowledge, he says, is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't even attain it. I can't comprehend that kind of love. A God who's so familiar with me, a God who knows me better than I even know myself, that's too much for my, in, for, for my finite mind to wrap itself around. You're infinite, God. How can I possibly understand your ways? But I thank you for them. I thank you for them. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You're omnipresent. You're everywhere. I can't be hidden from your sight. 
He says, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, hell, behold, you are there. Some of you are making your bed in hell. You're making your bed in hell. You're making your bed in hell. You're sitting here like you're all that in a bag of potato chips, but you know what you're doing. You're making your bed in hell. And can I tell you what? He's even there. He is even there. When my children, when they would go astray or do something that I, I was like, I can't believe they did that, Lord, I would be comforted to know he was even there. They couldn't get outside his grasp. They couldn't get outside his, his observation. Because even there, his hand will hold them. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell on the uttermost parts of the sea, that wings of the morning, it's the speed of light. Even if I flee from you at the speed of light, you'll beat me to it. You'll beat me to where I'm going. Even if I go to the uttermost parts of the sea where there is no man, where I'm way beyond everybody else's observation, even there you are, Lord. There is no place I can flee from you. Precious one, can I tell you, some of you are fleeing from God, and you think you're doing a pretty good job. I don't want him to see this. He sees that he's already there. He is already there. And he's there because he loves you, and he will pursue you. The, the hounds of heaven. Do you love the hounds of heaven? You can outrun the hounds of heaven. He says, even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand, oh, his right hand, his hand of power shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness fall on me, can I tell you, some of you might be in a dark time. You might feel like darkness has overwhelmed you. You might feel like the enemy is winning. But can I just tell you, darkness is of light to him. It's of light to him. I, I love that light always overcomes darkness. It doesn't work the other way around. Darkness doesn't overcome light. When we walked into this room and it was dark, we hit a light switch and the light overcame the darkness. That's why I love to go to dark places. I love to go to bars where, where people are so lost and, and drunk as skunks because I take light into that place and my light overcomes their darkness. Oh, Leslie and I were in California this past weekend. Les, did we or did we not? There was this little car and it said what did it say my other car is a broom witchcraft what else magic there were stickers all over this cute little car and we walked by and I, wa I looked at it and I commented to Leslie and we walked by and then I turned myself around and I said uh-uh we're gonna take this back we're taking this back for you because you see that's darkness we are light and light overcomes Darkness. I was like, Lord, I would like to see who is in that car. Leslie, if I'm lying, I'm dying. She came trucking right out the store and got in her car. I was like, thank you for her salvation, Lord. I'm claiming her salvation in the name of Jesus. Every dark thing she has a part of, I've asked you, Lord, to expose it to your glorious light. We are light. Light overcomes darkness. It doesn't work the other way around. It does not work the other way around. He says, even the darkness shall be as light to me. Deeds done in darkness. Oh, oh, precious one. Deeds done in darkness. When you're in that room all alone with that computer, thinking I'll just catch a glimpse and my wife will never know, can I tell you, deeds done in darkness, he's even there. When you think, I'll just have this drink and I'll numb my pain, 
he's even there. When you think, I'll go have this affair with that man because my husband's not satisfying me and no one will ever know, it'll be my dirty little secret. Can I tell you, even there, there is nothing you can do that can, that's concealed from his. It's so interesting. I was having little Kendall read the scripture to me on the way here. And she said, Mama, do you know what strikes me? She said, when it talks about God's eyes, it's never plural. It's his eye. It's singular. She said, Mom, make sure you say that tonight. Make sure you say it's his eye that's on you. Even there, Lord, darkness is of light to you. Darkness may oppress me. It may try to drown me, but it does not hide me from you, Lord. I might want to run and escape from God. I might want to escape his view. I might want to hide from him and and pursue the darkness, but there is no place to run because even the darkest place is of light to him. No sin too dark, no trouble too deep, no separation too far away to keep us from the love and the view of God. Here's my favorite one. For you formed my inward parts. You created me. You covered me in my mama's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My inward parts are my passions, my my emotions. Can I tell you, he formed my inward parts. For the longest time, Leslie and I would get ready to preach, and and I would say, Lord, please, I know I overwhelm people with my passion. I know that I just, people think that I am so bizarre. Could you please just tone me down a little bit? Leslie, do I pray it all the time? Could you tune me down just a little bit? Take me down a couple notches, Lord. You are Lord over my passion. I'm asking you to be Lord over it. Tune me, tune me down a little bit. And then I get up to preach, and it's like, vomit. And I read that, and he says, for I formed your passions, Rhea. That passion that you're asking me to tone down, I gave that to you, Rhea. Don't ask me to tone down what I called good, what I call good. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mama's womb. I'll praise you because I'm fearfully. Oh, do you know that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? That word wonderfully, oh, listen to this. Don't miss this. That word fearfully means to distinguish, to show marvelous, to put a difference in you. I want to stand on the chair right now. Kels, I want to stand on the chair. Do you understand that you are wonderfully made? You're marvelous. He put a difference in you. A difference. You are marvelous in his eyes. He has distinguished you. That's the word I'm looking for. He has distinguished you. He made you different than anybody else. Why in the world? Would you want to be what Susie down the street is telling you you need to be? Why do you want to be like Tom at work? Just tell me that. Why are you trying to recreate what he said has been set apart, is distinguished, is put some difference in, in you that he thinks is quite marvelous? Why? Why would you question what God says is good? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous. His works are marvelous. 
my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions know that full well. Think about the marvels of the human body. Think about how your brain works. Think about how your heart beats. Think about how the blood walks through, flows through your body. Think about your DNA and how marvelous that is, how wonderfully it's made. It, it is unique. Can I tell you? He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Oh, oh, I want to preach on that. Psalm 91, the secret place, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. My frame was not hidden from you. Oh, I, I just want you to see this. Your, your eyes saw my substance, yet being unformed. That word substance, you know what that means? My rolled up substance. Okay, can I just tell you? We want to debate on when life begins. Some people say it's a glob of flesh. It's a clump of cells. But the Bible says that you saw my substance. You saw my glob of flesh. You saw my, 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 my bunch of cells. You saw them. Your eye was on me. You didn't, you weren't oblivious to me till I started to kick in my mama's belly. No, you saw my unformed substance. You saw me. You saw, your eye was on me. Your watchful candle eye was on me that whole time. How dare we say it's not a life? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought. Oh, I love it. I could park there. I won't, but I really want to park there because I just want to tell you, those of you that think you're an accident, oh, Lord, I heard you. Those of you that think you're an accident, can I tell you, 1.2 billion sperm are released in conception. 1.2 billion. It's the average. Think about that. Little teensy tiny sperm, 1.2 billion, not, not million, not thousand, 1.2 billion. Karen, how many eggs do you have that are released? One. None anymore. Me either. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> Sorry. JJ, take that one off the tape. <laughs> It's my birthday. <laughs> there is a blessing for being this old. But, Lord, how am I going to recover from this one? 1.2 billion sperm, one egg. One egg was released in my mama's, my mama. 1.2 billion sperm in my dad. Accident? One sperm, uno, survived the fight to get to that egg, and whoop, presto, Rita. <laughs> Accident, 1.2 billion to one. Any of those other 1.2 billion would have formed somebody else. But the DNA to make Rhea survived to get to that one egg. Don't you ever say you're an accident. The Bible says that you were not formed, you were not made because of the purpose of man, the will of man. You were not formed because of the will of the flesh. You were formed. You are here today because of the will of God. He said, let it be, and it was good. 
He was pleased with you. You are not an accident. You are not an accident. He saw your frame. It wasn't hidden from him. He created you. He knit you together in your mama's womb. That skillfully wrought, I want you to see that because this is so good. The word there means embroidered. Embroidered. Look it up. It means embroidered. Oh, anybody do embroidery here? Does someone, uh, tell me about that. Hey, Karen, when you do embroidery, I was driving here tonight, and the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. I was just thinking about the fact that he embroidered me. It, it takes, that's love. It's, uh, that's delicate. He has just delicately woven me together. He designed me. But Karen, when you do needlepoint, when you, when you, when you embroider, no matter how much you wash your hands, you still get the oils. You still get the fingerprints all over what you're embroidering. Oh, this makes a hair stand up on my arm. Can I just tell you, his fingerprints are all over me. They're all over you, Margaret. His fingerprints are all over you. Do you understand how fearfully and wonderfully made you are. How dare you recreate yourself? How dare you measure yourself against somebody else and come up lacking? How dare you feel like you are worthless? Can I tell you, you are his treasured possession. He is pleased with you. You're God's needlework. His handprints are all over you. He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were written, the days fashioned for me before one of them ever came to be. Can I tell you, before one of your days ever came to be, all the days ordained for you were written in his book. He's got a book on you. Do you know that? He's got a book on you. I have baby books on my kids. I love to go back. His first tooth came here. He took his first steps here. I, I like can relive those days all over when I go back and look at those baby books. I put everything I was so proud of in that book. This is his first date. This is the first time he, the first word he spoke. Proud mamas do that, don't they? I have seven. I have seven baby books. He's got a book on you. And all the days ordained for you were written in his book. Your days were carefully planned out. Do you understand? Every last day for you were written, was written in his book before one of them ever came to be. My, I have a friend who's really health conscious, who, who eats so, I mean, she, everything she eats is clean. She doesn't put anything toxic in her mouth. She is so careful about what she eats. She's as fit as can be. There is not one ounce of fat on that little body. She is, she is fit. She exercises. She said, Rhea, we have a responsibility to take care of the temple. I said, you are exactly right. But, but the other day she said to me, I had these tests, and I'm just being haunted by the fact that I had to have all this radiation in the, in the x-ray machine, and, and I had to go through all these tests, and, and is it going to cut my life short? And I laughed, and I said, all the days ordained for you, precious one. I don't care if you never eat anything but clean the rest of your life. All the days ordained for you with my cheeseburgers and french fries or your clean eating that all the days ordained for you were written in his book before one of them ever came to be my mama died 2009 she died from from outpatient surgery 
I'll never forget, I called her the, the day before her surgery, the night before her surgery. I said, Mama, you know, you're going into outpatient surgery tomorrow. I said, I just wanted to call and tell you I was thinking about you, and I'm not going to come home because it's just outpatient surgery, no big deal. And, and so when I called her, I said, Mama, what are you doing? And she said, I, I'm, reading his, I'm reading the Word. And I said, oh. And, and so I'm talking to the Lord. I said, what are you talking to the Lord about? And, and she said, well, I'm telling him that if he wants to take me home tomorrow, that would be okay. And and my mom had a little flair for the, for the dramatic. I, I have no idea where I get it. But, but she was a little dramatic. And I said, oh, mom, stop being dramatic. You are having outpatient surgery. Nobody dies from outpatient surgery, mom. I'm just telling you. Now, you're just being dramatic. I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow afternoon when you get home from the hospital. And the next day I was, at, I was on my way to an event, and I got a phone call that my mom was in intensive care, and they didn't expect her to live through the night. And I went home, and I, I sat beside her bed, and, and I, I sat with her while she died. When she took her last breath, I was there. And I watched that body that God created, the one he knit together in her mama's womb, the one he fearfully and wonderfully made so that, that the, the, the things woven in her body, that her heart beat, that her brain worked, that, that, that she could breathe in and out, her diaphragm worked. I watched him say, this is the last day. All the days ordained for her were written in her book uh, before one of them ever came. Came to be and this is the last day that was written in her book and I watched her die before my eyes and there was no if ands or buts this body that he created became like rubber became as hard as could be that last breath left her and she was gone and let me tell you what Every day of your life was written in his book before one of them ever came to be. There is a day you took your first breath, and there will be a day when you take your last breath. And my question for you is when you take your last breath, where will you wake up? Because that is not your last breath. That is the first day of the rest of your life. That's the first day of eternity. And where will you spend eternity? Where will you spend eternity? How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, look at that. How precious are your thoughts to me. In the original language, it means how precious are your thoughts of me, oh God. How great is the sum of them. He's not saying, I'm really bothered that you know everything about me. I, he's not saying, I'm bothered that there's nothing I can hide from you. He's saying, that's a great comfort to me, to know that your thoughts of me, they're precious to me, to know that I am always on your mind that your eye is always on me. How precious are your thoughts to me, O oh God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than, than the number of the sand. Think about that. Think about that. You are always on his mind. You're always on his mind. And, and, and the word says that his thoughts of you outnumber the grains of the sand of the sea. Do you know how much sand there is in the sea? Next time you're at the beach, take a handful of sand and look at all of those grains of sand. One little tiny handful. How many zillion grains of sand are in your hand? And he's saying God's thoughts to, about you outnumber all of the sand, all of the sand of the sea. Can you imagine you are always on his mind. You are the apple of his eye. His eye is always on you. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. 
Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. As I was studying this, I was like, Lord, that does not make sense. That doesn't go with everything else you're saying in this passage. You start talking about how you, you have inexhaustible knowledge of me. You, you talk about how your eye is on me. You're, you talk about how you know everything about me. And then all of a sudden, the psalmist is saying, I hate the people who hate you. I hate the people who misuse your name. Do you know what he's saying here? He's saying, God, the idea that you know all this about me, the idea that you have inexhaustible knowledge of me and you love me anyway, the idea that, that my thoughts are not hidden from you and you know a word before it's on my lips, the idea that you knit me together, that you created me, Lord, that, that, that you know me, you are intimately acquainted with me, and the idea that I could know all that about you and then misuse your name, the idea that I could put on a hypocritical mask and pretend to be something I'm not, the idea that I could be a play actor and put on a super for spiritual exterior, but deny the power therein and hurt your name and misuse your name. Oh, Lord, I detest that. I detest that that's even possible. So he finishes by saying, search me, oh God. Don't let me be like that. Examine me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Make me the real deal, God. Because I can't know how much you love me. I can't know how much you treasure me. I can't know that I am not here by mistake, that there's a force bigger than me. I can't know all this and then go out and misrepresent you in this world. So examine me. Dig deep. Excavate me, Lord. And see if there's any wicked way in me. Because I know that I can be deceived by the pride of my heart. That I can choose not to want to see something, Lord. And so I'm asking you to put your finger on it, excavate it, dig deep in me, and clean me up. Such knowledge is too lofty for me. The idea that we have a God who loves us like that. Do you understand that you are not here by accident? That God purposed you. That before you were born, he called you. From the day of your birth, he made mention of your name. He found you worthy to be praised. That he created you and he saw that it was good. He was pleased with you. That's who you are. The handiwork of God. His workmanship. Created for good works. Good works. Will you go be all? that you were created to be this way. Always mindful that his eye is always on you. You are always under his observation and not in a guilt-wrenching way. Not in a, oh no, I can't do anything and get away with it. No, you can't. But it's not a naughty, naughty you. It's a, I know what's inside of you and you are better than this. You are better than this. And I'm going to dig deep, and I'm going to pull out that treasure that's buried deep within you that you buried because you thought the world told you it wasn't good enough. So, Father, we ask you to examine us tonight. Lord, we repent of any form of godliness that denies the power therein the power to be all that you created us to be. Lord, we 
repent of using the world as a mirror that, that we look into and, and we determine who we are based on their scrutiny. Lord, I ask you to search us tonight, to dig deep within us, Lord. Show us where we have made a lie our refuge that we've put our trust in a lie, that we have to look a certain way, be a certain way, succeed a certain way, that we're nothing unless we do. Father, I pray that you grant a revelation of who we are in you, that we would rip off the spiritual mask tonight, that we would say there's no more play acting for me, that we would give you permission to examine to investigate, to search out any wicked way in us and lead us to the way everlasting. Oh, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you know everything about us, but you could not love us more. That knowledge is too lofty for me. I can't even get my hands around it, Lord. But I pray, Father God, that you would give us a revelation of your deep love for us. Let that motivate us and propel us forth in the destiny that you created us for. Thank you that you purposed us. Thank you that you called us. Thank you that you found us worthy to be praised. We love you, and we give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Rhea Briscoe, a division of Snowdrop Ministries. For more information about Rhea or how to connect with Snowdrop Ministries, please visit our website, www.snowdropministries.com, or you can call 414-581-8150. We pray you are both encouraged and challenged to go deeper and grow stronger in your walk with Christ.